just fantastic worship, and we trust that as our, yeah, you can clap at that. <laughs> and we uh, trust that as Cactus and Northridge and Chapel join us, as well as those of you online and in our Shea Overflow here, uh, you've had a meaningful time of worship as well. Uh, it was probably mentioned earlier, in fact, I know it was, that we are in the home stretch of the series that we're in called The Questions God Answers. Uh, many of us ask questions of God that he chooses not to answer, at least this side of eternity, and uh, he has answered quite a few questions as well. So we're parking in front of seven questions, probably arguably the most important questions that he does answer, and we're in the home stretch. We got two questions to go, and ironically, wonderfully, they both have to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the two questions are, how is God's Spirit moving today? And then next week, Thanksgiving week, we'll answer the question, how do we get on board with how the Spirit is moving? So an extremely relevant wrap-up to this series, and then we're going to be uh, into Christmas. And as I said in my video this week that was sent out to you, if you're on our email list, um, we're uh, going to be having a special Christmas celebration the three Sundays up to Christmas. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the wise men or the magi and what we lay down before Jesus. And then also our creative arts department, because we don't have winter wonder this year because of the pandemic, is going to be doing some winter wonder-esque type things as we head into uh, Christmas. So again, you're going to want to join us every week either online or uh, live here. And uh, we're all one church and look forward to celebrating the birth of Christ together. But let's finish this series strong in the Word of God. Why don't you guys bow with me and pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father God, I thank you for the gathered church here and online. I thank you that your love and your grace, even in these trying times, uh, knows no end, and that your faithfulness continues on. And Lord, we trust you. We're, we're faithful to you as well as we trust you and yield our lives before you and lean into your son Jesus as so we're going to learn today the Holy Spirit. And so Father, I pray that as we uh, continue this series of answering questions that your word answers so clearly, questions that are very relevant and meaningful to our lives, God, be with us by the power of your spirit now, I pray, reveal and uh, illuminate our minds as we trust in Jesus and as we look to you as our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So let's have a little fun with this, shall we? Um, let me ask you a question. If you were the Holy Spirit today, I know that's a big leap, but if you were the Holy Spirit today and you had all the attributes of God and could do the unlimited things of God on earth, what would you do? How would you move today as the Holy Spirit given all that's going on in our world and our culture? I've been hanging around Christians for 40 years, and if I don't miss my guess, uh, many of us <clears throat> would have a list that goes like this. We would say, well, first, let's end this pandemic. We know that the Holy Spirit is powerful and can heal. That's all over the Bible. So as the Holy Spirit, we'd say, let's ease some suffering. Let's mitigate all the fear going on around us, and we would eradicate the pandemic. And then once this is done, tell me if this isn't true, we would write all the wrong politicians in our country. Amen? Yeah, I knew you guys would clap with that. 
I mean, we're going to see today that the Holy Spirit convicts people of their waywardness and sin. So as the Holy Spirit, we would do a flyover pass over Washington and we would confront all the shenanigans and we'd either change their foolishness or we would get them out of the way entirely, entirely like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? <laughs> We would write all the wrong politicians. And then after ridding the world of the pandemic and dealing with political corruption as the Holy Spirit, now tell me if this isn't true, we'd now set our sights on Hollywood and the media. Amen? I mean, it's only fitting. We know that the Holy Spirit is all about truth and righteousness, so we put an end to all the craziness going on in the entertainment and media industries, everything from blatant immorality to fake news and we'd bring back the days of Leave It to Beaver and Walter Cronkite, right? Some of you young folks are going, who's, who's, what's that? Google it, you'll get it. So as the spirit, we would set Hollywood and the media straight. And then with these three American ills attended to, the pandemic, political corruption, and the out-of-control entertainment and media industry, we would then tackle some other really big, problematic issues. Let me list them. Poverty and its cousin greed, religious persecution, racial inequality, world hunger, sex trafficking, sexual confusion in general, the definition of marriage, unfair immigration practices, the urban plight, misogyny, bad parenting, abuse, crime, unfair taxation. Wow, a lot of things that we would tackle as the Holy Spirit. See, I know Christians, I've been watching you guys and listening to you for 40 years. The way that you talk, the things that you are very concerned about and interested in, these are the things that would make your list and you would take the world by storm if you were the Holy Spirit. And with this fictitious exercise and your list in hand, God, who, who was a wonderful mixture of love and grace and truth, I promise you, would look at you and he would say, I am so glad that you are not the Holy Spirit. He would. God would look at you and say, you know what? Kind of like when your kid dresses up as Superman and runs around the house in a cape and you're glad that your three-year-old is actually not Superman. God would say that when you put on your cape as the Holy Spirit, I'm glad that, I don't, that you don't have the power that I do even though I love you, child. And you might be confused by that. And God would be quick to say, because here's what you don't get yet. As one who has just tried to be the Holy Spirit, you have engaged in an adventure in missing the point. You have. Because what you don't understand yet is that as much as I care about the world around you and as much as I am active in it, what you fail to understand is that the primary way that my spirit moves on planet earth is in and through my people, in and through you. And with all your focus on changing the world, you have forgotten my primary goal, which is to change you. And guess what? I'm not done with you yet. Yet. That's what God would say toward you and me. And how do I know this? Because as you're going to see today, this is core to a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit moves today. 
And so the risk of being formulaic and overly simplistic, if you're still at all hazy, it would look like this. And we're going to go much deeper with this today. But a very quick flyover, bird's eye view, would be this. Here's the movement of the Spirit. As we're going to see, he begins by convicting people of sin. All people. So yes, the Spirit sets his sights on the world and us and convicts of sin. But then very quickly, as people respond to that conviction, he reveals Jesus. He reveals that their, for the forgiveness their souls long for and the relationship that they long for is found in Jesus. And then if and as they embrace Jesus through faith, he then places them in his established kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that's being worked through in the hearts and minds of his people gathered together in all places on planet earth called his church. And this is where the Spirit is most operative in revealing Jesus, establishing his kingdom. And then and only then, he says, now you people who the Spirit's operative in, you be salt and light. And go to Hollywood and go to Washington, D.C. And, and, and do all you can to bring salt and light to a hurting world. But what you guys need to see is that the operative focus of the Spirit here is in building his church it's in us, and only then does he unleash us on the world around us. This is the movement of the Spirit today. So let's be sure this is true, and let's go a little deeper with this today. In our time remaining, we got just about 30 minutes, I want to do two things that will hopefully forever answer the question, how is God's Spirit moving today? First thing I want to do is clarify what the Bible says about the role and movement of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we need to do a little bit of theology, a study of God, to make sure we're understanding right what the Bible says about the primary moving of the Holy Spirit, what it is, and where it is most found. And then after we do that, you're going to love this, we're going to spend some time uh, sharing an example. I actually had two, but we're only going to have time for one, on how this works in us. There's thousands of examples I could give you. But we're going to take a look at one that's rather poignant today with what Christians struggle with. So that's the roadmap for the next 30 minutes. So let's briefly and succinctly review what the Bible says about the role and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And though the Bible says a lot here. I mean, the Holy Spirit's from Genesis to Revelation. It could be argued that there is at minimum a five-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some theologians add a lot more than five, but I'm going to say at minimum there's five, and here they are. I'm going to give them to you all up front, and then we'll walk briefly through each. And that is that the Spirit is involved in convicting, and then revealing, and then encouraging, and then guiding, and then empowering. I tried to come up with an acrostic for this, but it wasn't going to work, and I didn't want to sully the words that the Bible uses. So call it Krieg if you want, but that makes no sense. Convicting, revealing, encouraging, guiding, empowering. Some of you are going to spend the rest of our time today trying to come up with an acrostic. Don't listen to what we're going to talk about right now because this is really important. You can spend the acrostic during football this afternoon. First, notice that the Holy Spirit moves today by convicting convicting. Jesus could not be more clear on this when he introduced 
the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8. He says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I put it there in yellow. That word convict is actually a wonderful life-giving word. It's fallen on hard times today. Many people don't like it. But the word simply means to be serious, to be sober about something that you feel strong about. When you're convicted about something, you have woken up to something. Amen? So before you had kids, you probably didn't care about kids. <laughs> but as soon as you had kids, it could be said that you now had a conviction about what good parenting looks like. And that's a good thing. Or when you had grandchildren or whatever it might be for you. We use the word conviction to simply talk about somebody who feels strongly, serious and sober about something before them. And that's really cool because what the Holy Spirit does in the spiritual realm is that when it comes to our sin and our fallenness and to God's holy and righteous standards and the fact that he is ticked at his creation because we've strayed from him, the Holy Spirit comes along and convicts us on our need for God. He makes us feel serious about that and sober about that to wake us up to our need for the Lord. And he does that not just for us, but for the world around us. And it's a good thing. But obviously this is only a start. For once conviction sets in, you need to know what God wants from you or you're just gonna stay convicted. And this is the second major work of the Holy Spirit. And that is revealing, revealing. So once the Spirit convicts and you're kind of feeling bad about something or at least serious and sober, then he points you, he reveals to you what he wants for you. And what is it that the Spirit reveals? You're gonna love this, Jesus. So Jesus again is speaking in John 16, 14 and he says this, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, interesting, and he will take from what is mine and declare it or reveal it to you. It's interesting, there's a wonderful theologian, Dale Bruner, who has coined this phrase. He calls the Holy Spirit the shy person of the Trinity. The shy person of the Trinity. And he does that because when you look closely at what the scriptures say, the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing elsewhere. He's constantly pointing us to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is constantly revealing Jesus. I like how Jesus himself said it. The Spirit will glorify me. That word glorify means to shine a light on something. It means to shine forth. And so the Spirit shines forth a light and points us to Jesus. And again, you guys get this for salvation that, you know, when you're convicted of your sin and then you go, oh my gosh, what am I to do? The Spirit then woos you and points you to Jesus who is the forgiver of your sin and your need to accept him and follow him as Lord and Savior. But what you also need to understand is that that's just the start. The revealing continues. Look at how Paul the Apostle would say it in 1 Corinthians 2.10, written by a Christian to Christians, he says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So for all of eternity, the Holy Spirit, the third person of this Trinity of God, has been searching the things of the Father and the things of the Son. 
as kind of the keeper of the deep things of God. And now as Christians, he reveals to us. He illumines the Bible when we read it so that the light goes on in our head. He gives you discernment and wisdom as you have to make tough decisions in life. You think that comes from you because you're really smart. But no, the Bible says you're actually more foolish than you think. And as one who has the spirit living in you, the spirit reveals these things to you. So he convicts and then he reveals. And then once you are his and on the narrow road, this one's really good. He engages in a ministry of encouraging. Again, Jesus taught us this. He says in John 14, 6, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, this is very interesting. Theologians have actually been a little bit confused at times on what this word helper means, which is why if you have another translation of the Bible in front of you right now, it, it might not say helper like the English Standard Version does in the New American Standard Version. If you have a King James in front of you, it says comforter, that I'll give you another comforter. Or if you have the Christian Standard Bible, it will say counselor, I'll give you another counselor. Or of a New International Version, very popular translation, says, I'll, I'll give you an advocate. So like, you're going, wait a second, helper, comforter, advocate. I mean, whoa, what's this about? Let's blow through it right now. It's the Greek word parakletos, parakletos. And it's a wonderful life-giving word. Now watch this. That literally means to come alongside another person. And you guessed it, counsel, advocate, help. I think it's best summed up in the word encourage. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you and me, puts his arm around us and says, let me help you go this way. Let me encourage you this way. Let me, let me make sure you stay strong in the moment. Again, you think you're being strong because you see yourself as strong. God says you're more weak than you think, but I have the spirit that I've deposited in you because you follow Jesus and he's your great encourager of your soul. So again, he's a convictor, he's a revealer, he's an encourager. And then I love this fourth moving of the spirit in our lives. And that is he's all about guiding. I actually had fun this week. There was like, I mean, a, a buffet of passages I could choose from that talk about the guiding and leading of the Spirit. But Romans 8, 14 is the most succinct and clear. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. <laughs> and I think you can reverse the logic. If you're a son of God or a daughter of God, you're going to be led by God. So God the Spirit is one who guides us through all the traversing and the ups and downs of life. How does he guide you? He gives you wisdom, discernment, insight, direction. He helps you know God's will when you're hazy about it. Literally all the things that you need to follow him inside of heaven. The Holy Spirit, his ministry is to give you those things. And finally, and wonderfully, just to make sure we can actually follow through on the spirits convicting and revealing and encouraging and guiding, there's a final thing the spirit does, and that is that he's all about empowering. You know, if I was announcing today I was leaving as your pastor, which I'm not, but if I, if I was, and I said, these are going to be my last words to you, my guess is most of you would perk up, right? Even those of you who daydream and are thinking about lunch right now, you'd perk up and say, I better listen because this is the last time I'm going to hear Pastor Jamie. 
Jesus' original disciples had that experience. They were sitting there in Acts chapter 1, and Jesus is right about to ascend into heaven. So these are be his last words to them while on earth. And interesting what he chooses to say. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And sure enough, you turn the page to Acts chapter 2, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in power. And here's the good news, gang. He hasn't left. He lives in you who believe, and he wants to empower you with the same spirit power that he did the original followers. You're saying, well, what kind of power? How about this? Power to love, power to resist sin, power to persevere when you feel weak, power to obey the things of God. It's power, power, power. So add it all up. We're going to accelerate here in just a minute. Here's the ministry of the Holy Spirit according to the Bible. Convicting, revealing, encouraging, guiding, empowering. If you ask the intelligent question, how is the Spirit moving today? This is the answer you're going to get. He's convicting the world. He reveals and leads them to Jesus. He encourages them. He guides them. He empowers them. And again, what you don't want to miss, because this is where a lot of Christians err today, I hear it in our talk, is that the vast majority of this is reserved for who? Say it with me. You. That was really weak. Say it with me. You. In other words, the Spirit is not going to necessarily do a flyover over Washington. He's not taking away this pandemic for whatever reason mysterious that the Spirit decides to. And he's not going to straighten out all of Hollywood and the media. God has said, this is a fallen world in rebellion to him and his plan A is to send his Spirit into us and do his convicting, revealing, encouraging, guiding, empowering work. And then he says, now you guys get out there and let's see how I might use you. But the moving of the Spirit is reserved a lot for you and me. Now, in our time remaining, we have just around what, 15 minutes. Let's get down to the nitty gritty and, and talk about what this might look like in real life. In other words, how might this fivefold ministry of the Spirit play out Monday through Saturday as you and I do our thing? And though there are quite a few ways, I mean thousands, in which the Spirit knits together these five things as he moves and breathes in our lives today, I want to share with you one example that has been very meaningful to me mostly in the last decade, maybe to decade and a half. And, and it's the example of what we're going to call detach and attach. Detach and attach. So we're going to take our time with this because I think it'll be very, very meaningful to some of you. Uh, let's slow down and, and spend some time talking about this. And to get us started, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to really think about this because I'm not sure most Christians have an intelligent answer to it. I know I didn't, even 10, 15 years ago. And the question is, why are you so drawn to things that you know are not healthy for your soul and even downright sinful? Have you ever thought about that? Why? 
Now again, some of you are quick to say, well, it's because I'm fallen and sinful. Well, I get that. We all know that. That's the Sunday school answer. But, but more deeply in your soul, what's going on in your soul when you are so drawn to the unhealthy stuff? And I mean drawn to it time and time again. Anybody here willing to admit that? We all have our list. I'll go through some of them in a minute and you're going to squirm. But when it comes to the things that we each individually struggle with, and you've been doing this for years, and you're drawn to it again and again and again and again, and some days you have victory, some days you don't. Have you ever thought what's really going on in your soul when you're in that place? Because we're in it quite often. Years ago, one of my mentors and spiritual guides Help me with this. And I trust this guy implicitly. And he helped me to see that, 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 that because the Holy Spirit lives in me, now this was actually doesn't even seem to be the starting place for it, but it is. He helped me to see that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and is actually the deepest part of me, deeper than any sin or any struggle that I have, the Holy Spirit resides in my soul. He said, Jamie, there's a constant thirst for God and the righteous things of God even when you're battling all that sin and unhealthy stuff. And I thought, wow, I never, I never thought of it like that. Because usually when I'm battling sin, all I can see is the sin, even though I'm trying to stay faithful to God. And he said, no, 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 you need to understand, in, in the midst of your battle, more deeply than anything else, you are thirsty for God. And, and I immediately thought, thought of Psalm 42, verse 1. We used to sing a song in church called As the Deer. And, and, and the psalm basically says this, and I, I only know it in the King James because the song was based on the King James, and that is, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. What a beautiful psalm. It pictures a deer sitting by the water, just lapping it up because the deer is thirsty. And David is saying that as the deer pants for this water, is thirsty for water, so my soul longs after you, God. And that's the starting place, that you're thirsty for God. You have to be if you have his spirit in you. However, because this mentor explained to me, because I am still fallen, there's also a part of me that the Bible calls the flesh, this natural, sinful, fleshly part of me that believes, now, now watch this, that my thirst can be quenched elsewhere. It's Galatians 5, verses 16 to 17 that talks about, and I quote, the desires of the flesh and how the desires of the flesh are at odds with, and I quote again, the desires of the spirit. There's kind of a battle in us. And it says, and I quote, they are opposed to each other and they cause us to do the things that we know are wrong and to avoid the things that we know are right. And so start to add this up because this was illuminating for me. The reason that you and I want to attach ourselves to things like food and overeating or an over-focus on material things. I know it's hard to picture somebody in Scottsdale doing that, but just go with me on that. The Bible actually calls it greed. Or how about illicit sexuality? Everything from pornography to affairs to premarital sex, which I last look is a sin, or to alcohol or some other types of substance, abusing it, whatever it might be for you, you know what it is. The reason that you attach yourself to those, have you ever seen it like this, is because you're thirsty, your soul is lonely, your soul is empty, and you think that these things are going to quench your thirst. 
man, I tell you, that was illuminating for me because I could relate to that. I don't run to these things because I somehow want to diss God. I run to these things because I've learned in the past that they do quench my thirst, albeit only a little bit and for a very, very short time. Amen? We've all experienced that. You do those things and they make you feel good for a second and then you feel guilty and lonely and even shameful. And what happens is, is we'll see this in a second, you start to move toward God again, but you go, ooh, 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 that, that did make me feel better for a second. And you go right back to it. And now you feel doubly guilty and doubly shameful. But the reason you're doing this is because there's a battle going on in your soul between the flesh and the spirit. You're seeking to quench your thirst, which is a good thing because God put it there. And at the end of the day, here's where the average Christian is today. And this is what we have to somehow work with. Is that the average Christian today who's experiencing this battle, maybe not even knowing it, would best be described as a thirsty, battle-worn follower of Jesus who actually experiences more defeats than victories. We spend a lot of time with people here at Scottsdale Bible Church, even in the pandemic, because we love you guys and we can't wait to connect with you, all of our pastors. And the majority of our stuff is spent with you focusing on this precise issue, whether it be in your marriage, in your parenting, in your personal life, in your finances, in your job, how you get along with your neighbor, but mostly really in, in, in your soul of souls, with the personal stuff you're dealing with. You're just experiencing quite a few defeats and you're wondering why. And again, what my friend explained to me is that I'm a thirsty, battle-worn follower of Jesus. I'm in the fight. It's just that I'm not winning as often as I could. And it's right here, folks, if you at all can relate to this, that the moving of the Spirit comes in. This convicting, revealing, encouraging, guiding, empowering movement of the Spirit because in order to combat this battle and to navigate it and to give you more victory, you have to learn to detach and to attach. This is what the Spirit is doing in us. Now let me explain very clearly what we mean by this. And to do this, I'm going to use some props here. So I'm going to put my stool here and I'm going to take my, my little music stand here that I preach from now and I'm going to put it here. And as I put this music stand here, what I want you to picture, and this won't be hard, hard from you, everybody can see this, is that I'm standing on a ledge here with my music stand right next to me. We'll share what this symbolizes in a minute here. And I want you to picture right next to me maybe a three-foot crevice here that goes way down deep. It's a crevice you don't want to fall into or you will be stuck. And on the other side of that crevice is that stool here. And the crevice isn't that hard to leap. I can just do this right now and I leapt over the crevice there and I can sit comfortably in this stool. Now let's attach some meaning to these symbols. Let me jump back over the crevice here. <laughs> some of the first services was afraid I'm going to fall in. It's fictitious. There's not really a crevice here, but we're pretending there is. So here, on, as I'm standing on this ledge here next to the crevice, my, my music stand is going to symbolize those unhealthy things that you and I tend to attach to. Those sinful things. Again, whether for me it's food, because I, I just love food and I tend to abuse it, or it might be for you sexual things, or it, it might be greed and, and you want to buy too many things. You might be overly busy in your life. You're just addicted to work and busyness. It might be anger. You know what it is for you. 
and, and, and you cling to these things because you're thirsty and you think they're going to quench your thirst, but you know it really won't. But you're standing on the ledge clinging to this. And what the Holy Spirit says to you, now you're going to like this, is that the Holy Spirit says, I need you to, to let go of these things. The Bible calls it repentance. I need you to let go and detach. And, and I need you to just jump over this ledge here. And I need you to have a seat in front of Jesus. <laughs> and I want you to, to talk to him and relate to him. I want you to attach to him. And, and, and I want you to, to look him in the face and I want you to spend some time with him. I want you to detach, take a step over here and attach. That's the ministry, the moving of the Holy Spirit in the average Christian's life today to help them have victory in this battle. And I know how some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Jamie, that's a really stupid illustration. I mean, it's like really simple and da-da-da. It's actually a lot richer than you think. So let's jump over the crevice here again. And let me stand on the ledge and let me show you, because you're going to love this picture, what the average Christian does today given these symbols and this illustration. And you tell me if there isn't some richness in this. The average Christian today, once they understand that this is how the Spirit's moving, does two things to sabotage or manipulate this process. The first thing that the average Christian does today is they say, oh, I get it. God wants me to detach, jump over there, and attach to Jesus. They say, no, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to stay attached here, and, and I'm going to put my foot over here. And you see, even though I'm threatening this crevice, and, and I'm going to try to reach over here and attach to Jesus. Now, let me ask you, is this a, is this a pretty picture right now that I'm painting here? <laughs> I hope they don't put this on the web, like in that still shot that they do. Don't do that. Because it's not. I mean, I'm uncomfortable at 56 going on 57 doing this right now. And, and, and imagine your soul trying to do this. what we do. We don't want to let go. We, we don't want to detach. We kind of like these things. They're quenching a little bit of our thirst. But we do want to attach to Jesus. So we are stuck like this. And we have tons of Christians doing this. Here's the problem. You can't reach here. Jesus won't let you. He said it this way when he was on this earth. You got to love this, this little, little analogy he used. He said, nobody can serve two masters. He said, you're going to love the one or hate the other or hate the one or love the other. You can't do it. And that's exactly what he's saying here. You can't hang on here and somehow get over there. You have to let go. But we try. We, we, we do this. And again, this is where many Christians are stuck today. And then you grow and mature. And as you grow and mature, you realize you have to let go, but then you fall into the second manipulative trap that we fall into with this. And this is what I struggle with. I'll share more in a second on this. Is that you say, okay, I, I gotta let go. I gotta let go. I, I, I can't be doing those things. It's embarrassing. I'm not gonna do those anymore. And so you let go. And then you stay right here on this side of the crevice. Man, I'm telling you, there's so many Christians here today. They say, I've let go. I don't do those things anymore. I, I went to therapy and I read some books and I heard pastors say I shouldn't. And so I, I don't do those things anymore. But you're still empty and you're still alone. And, and you haven't really attached yourself to Jesus. All you've done is let go. And you're now a nice little self-satisfied, smug, religious, legalistic Christian. Can I think of some other words to describe us? And, and, and you're joyless because nobody's happy doing this. I mean, at least those things quench a little bit of thirst. But you let go. But you didn't do this. And sit down with Jesus and allow him to satisfy your soul. John Piper, wonderful author. 
bounces off the Westminster Confession that says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, Piper changes one word in it. He says, no, 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 the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So you, you let go, you, you jump over the crevice, you sit down and you begin to enjoy God. But too many of us are here and we've let go. And we never really attached ourselves to Jesus. Jesus actually told a story about this in, in Luke and Matthew, and he used it, uh, the, Matthew and Luke use it in very different contexts. It's kind of a confusing little parable, whatever it is, where he says, you know, that if a bunch of demons are inhabiting a man, and uh, the demons leave, and the man sweeps his house clean, the demons are going to run around, and eventually they're going to come back and, and inhabit the man again. You're like, well, what's that about? And again, Matthew and Luke use it in different ways. I think Jesus is, is getting at a little bit of what we're touching here today, that it's possible for a Christian to, to let go and sweep his house clean and you feel so good about it and, and your soul is now clean, you're doing better things, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of living a, a semi-satisfied Christian life, but you haven't really filled it with Jesus. You haven't really filled your soul in relationship with him and, and you're very vulnerable to sin setting in again. And some of you go, well, once I cross it here and I sit here, then what? I mean, it's not like, you know, it's magic. No, no, it's not. But here's where I think we have to get back to the basics. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian 40 years ago, uh, somebody sat me down and we, we need to do this a lot more here. And they said, okay, now that you're a Christian, can I tell you how to have a relationship with God? And I said, well, I already have a relationship with God. I accepted Jesus. And let me share with you how you can walk with him on a daily basis. And they taught me how to pray. And they taught me how to read the Bible. And they taught me how to have what we call a quiet time. And they said at least once a day, preferably twice, Jamie, I want you to, they told me, I want you to get away for 30 minutes and I want you to slow down before God. And I don't want you to read a book. I don't want you to listen to music. Certainly no TV. I, I don't want you to daydream. I want you to spend just 10, 15 minutes reading the Bible. In fact, they suggested that I start with the Gospel of John, the easiest book in the New Testament. Just start with John. It's over 20 chapters. Read one chapter a day. It'll get you going for about three weeks. And, and read it. It'll take you about 10 minutes. And just ask yourself, how do I know Jesus through what I'm reading here? Because John will answer that. And then they said, and then talk to God for the next 20 minutes or so. <laughs> I remember thinking, 20 minutes? Talk to God for 20 minutes? Like, I don't talk to anybody for 20 minutes. And I was married at the time. I'm talking 20 minutes? And, and they said, yeah, talk, talk to God for about 20. What do I say to him? Well, tell him how much you like him. We call it praise. Tell him what you think of him. We call it adoration. I thank him for all the blessings in your life. You sure got a lot of those. And then once you confess your sin, you, you got a lot of those too and, and start to experience his forgiveness. And then once you've praised him and adored him and confess your sin, why don't you cast your cares upon him? Peter says to do that. So tell him what's bothering you. And then ask him for some things. Put your request before him. Pray for your family. Pray for unsaved loved ones. Pray for your kids. Pray for the things you're battling. Believe it, he said, 20 minutes will go faster than you think. And 40 years ago, I started doing that. I started detaching from these things, taking a step over here, sitting down with Jesus and having a conversation with him every day. And, and I found myself when I did that, when I started my day like that and ended my day like that, I'd continue it throughout the day. I, I would now talk to him as I'm driving down the road. I would talk to him in my spirit when I'm in a meeting, you know, or what have you. And, and I would find myself relating to him like he is actually my friend. <laughs> and, and, and could that be 
why we have a lot of fatigued, defeated Christians today. Because again, we're over here and we're either trying to do this or we're doing this. Whereas he wants us to detach, take a step over here and attach. This is thoroughly biblical. Look at how the uh, New Testament would put it. I love this passage here in Romans. It it says in Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, that's your failure to detach, you will die. Probably not literally, but your soul will experience a slow death. But, now watch this, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And, And again, the key phrase there is by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving. He's even moving in you. And he's calling you every day through his wonderful convicting and revealing and encouraging and guiding and empowering ministry. He's calling you to detach. He's also calling you to attach. He's the shy person of the Trinity pointing you to Jesus to have a sit down with him. And I believe, I know for my own life, this is where I get messed up if if I shun or somehow poo-poo the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I, I, last thought, and then we'll wrap this up. I, um, I'm in the battle with you. I tell you guys that all the time. I don't do it just to be on your side. I just am. And, and I've been doing this again for 40 years. And, and, and I can tell you, this stuff works, but it's also a battle. I, I tend to be the guy because, you know, I mean, I, 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 I don't attach much to these things anymore, but I tend to be the guy that, 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 that detaches and then stands right here. I'm busy. I, I got a lot on my plate I, my wife would tell you, and this is for a whole other discussion, but some of you men will get it. I, I'm afraid of intimacy. And so I'm afraid of intimacy with her, and I'm certainly afraid of intimacy with Jesus. So it's very easy for me to detach because <laughs> I don't want to do those things at all. I, I don't. And, and I've been around long enough where I know how to detach from them. But I, but I, don't, I don't really want to jump over here and, and, and attach because, well, there's just stuff in my soul that resists that, the flesh. This week, I got a double whammy from the Holy Spirit on Thursday. I, I remember the day. Uh, I was in two different settings on Thursday, a counseling session that I was helping a couple who is going through some, some, some loss in their lives, and then I was in an elder meeting Thursday night. And isn't it just amazing how God works? As I've been having a very busy week and doing a good job of detaching, but probably need to attach more to Jesus. I, um, I, in, in both settings, without any prompting from me, in each setting, somebody said to me, Boy, I got to tell you how much I'm in love with Jesus right now. And, and, and my prayer life is soaring and I'm attaching to him. And, and even in the midst of my loss or in the midst of what our elders have, decisions the elders have to make, two times somebody said, I'm just, man, prayer is just so front and center in my life right now. And it's just a glorious place to be. <laughs> and I remember sitting there in both those meetings going, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Holy Spirit, because once again, you're prompting me, you're moving in my life. to to get over there and attach more to him. And my question is, how about you? I I, got to believe that this is relevant to you too. And Cactus, Northridge Chapel, those of you across the way, those of you online, this is all of us. This is one example of how the spirit moves. Take it for what it is, but know he's moving. And he's moving in you. He wants you to detach and attach. And by his empowerment, you can do that and so much more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that for all of eternity, you have existed as a trinity 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we spent some time in the last few years parking in front of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I, for one, am deeply encouraged because that's the ministry of the Spirit, but also convicted because that's the ministry of the Spirit. I'm encouraged that you dwell in us as Holy Spirit. I'm encouraged that you reveal and, 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 and guide and empower, but I'm also, Lord, deeply convicted that I need to, to detach and attach on a more regular basis. And Lord, there's so many other things that I know you want to do in my life. You want to put Jesus on display in the way that I relate to people around me. You want to help me be salt and light in a way that might really make a dent in the culture around me. So many things. But Lord, I just thank you that you're doing these things in me and Lord in all of us. May sin never cloud the glorious grace that you have shown us. And Lord, may all of us have hope unimaginable at what you're doing and will continue to do. Thank you that you answered this question. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen.